Uh, let's kneel together now. Uh, if you can, uh, join me in, uh, in prayer at this time. So I invite you to kneel with me. I'm going to get my papers together here. Our Father in Heaven, we thank You so very, very much for Your unending love for us. We're in awe at how much You care for us. We look at the cross and we see Jesus and the willingness to come here and Your willingness to send Your Son so that we may be saved. And we're awestruck and shocked and... And Lord, we're very thankful. We humbly ask, Lord, on this Sabbath day that You will forgive us. For it's we who put Jesus on the cross, each and every one of us, because of our sins. As we claim His blood for forgiveness, we pray for a greater measure of the Holy Spirit to help us not to sin again. To cultivate a love for the truth and to, and to cultivate right habits and be drawn closer to Thee through obedience. Father, we thank You for Your promises. We thank You for the Holy Word that You've protected, for all the inspiration that, that You've protected for us who live in this time so that we can be prepared and prepare others for Christ's coming. And Lord, we come before You on our knees and, and, and not only with praise and thanksgiving, but, but Lord, for petitions. Uh, Lord, there are many people that we love, many people that, that we haven't even met that we love because Jesus loves them. And we want to reach them. There are many people, though, that we do know that uh, the Lord have, have burdens, tremendous burdens. Deb has said her friend Amber lost her mother and within just a short time found that her mother-in-law was diagnosed with breast cancer. Oh, to lose a, a parent is tremendous. Uh, and, and to lose a, another parent or have one that's very ill. Um, Lord, I pray that holy angels will surround Amber and her family and, and help her to keep looking up and to have peace in her heart and be a, a light to her mother-in-law. Um, Rollins' brother... His granddaughter was in the hospital. I haven't gotten word as to uh, what was found about that, but I pray that you'd be very near to her and the family and, and draw them closer to Christ. And may they come to know Jesus. Uh, Deb's elementary school teacher is in the hospital, Miss Underwood, she, uh, she recalls. Uh, be very near to her, Lord. Um, Lord, uh, Jerry Brown lost his wife to cancer. Um, that's devastating. Tony uh, says that uh, uh, put this in for as a uh, for a friend of Ronnie Miller, who's uh, enslaved to drugs. Uh, we pray that uh, angels will walk with him and protect him and give him a holy influence and uh, the help needed to to overcome those things and continue to be with our friends and our church members in Battle Creek, especially the Newcombs who um, are having to move and moving into a new place. And, and Lord, I pray that you, you will help them. And Lord, be with us as we study your word now. Give me the words to speak. May they be your words. This is a solemn subject, uh, one that we really truly need to deeply consider. Uh, who are we going to choose to be our king? And there are subtle ways that we, we don't choose Jesus. Uh, Lord, may we always choose Jesus. Now give me the words to speak. May we be attentive. May hearts be open to the truth. And may what we do here bring glory to Thy name. Lord, we thank You so much for Jesus, who died for us, who ministers for us, and uh, who is preparing us for His coming. And we thank You for hearing our prayers. We ask it in His blessed name, for He is so worthy. Good to be with you 
Happy Sabbath to you all again. I hope that you are growing more and more in love with the Sabbath and look forward to it uh, more and more. Beloved, if Jesus is your friend and you knew that He was coming on this day to visit with you every week and He was your best friend, would you not look forward to that time? I love the Sabbath because Jesus is here. And I want to be with Jesus, and I hope you do too. Amen. I'm going to be speaking about, I've titled this study, No King But Caesar. I had another title in mind, but I think this is the strongest uh, point that uh, I want to bring out. No King But Caesar. In the Scriptures, our clothing is used as a symbol for our character. Normally what we choose to wear on the outside tells everyone who sees us something about what is on our inside, what's in our heart. It usually tells people what we treasure. Would you agree with that? Now there are some instances where people don't have a choice per se, but that's pretty far and few um, between. But uh, what we wear on the outside says something about our true character. Usually, doesn't it? I'm going to give an example where it doesn't. But usually it does. And we see this in the experience of Adam and Eve, don't we? Back in the very beginning. You know that they, they had a robe of light. Did you know that? They had a robe of light representing a righteous character. I want to read something to you from Patriarchs and Prophets, page 45. It speaks about this. It says, The sinless pair wore no artificial garments. They were clothed with a covering of light and glory, such as the angels wear. So long as they lived in obedience to God, this robe of light continued to enshroud them. So they had... They don't have clothes, Alex, kind of like what we have. Uh, and all we can go by is what the inspired writings say. I, you can use your own imagination what that is. But they, they wore a robe of light. They were covered with light and glory, we're told. Now when they sinned, what happened? They lost that covering, didn't they? They lost that robe of righteousness and glory. And so... What did they do? They found they were naked. They, they, they made some fig leaf garments to replace uh, what, they, uh, what they used to wear. And these artificial garments have become synonymous with what we term righteousness by works. It means trying to earn salvation. You understand what I'm saying? And so they themselves took these leaves and they made garments themselves to cover themselves by their own works. And I'll tell you, friends, that such garments are not acceptable for citizens of God's kingdom. In the place of leaves, the Lord prepared a garment for them from the skin of an animal. Now, did that mean that this animal was now running around without any skin? No. This garment, which cost the life of that innocent animal, it was symbolic too. It was symbolic of the robe of Christ's righteousness, which cost the life of His, God's own Son, cost Jesus' life. And this is a garment that all who will be citizens of heaven must wear. Or they, they won't be a citizen. Now in Revelation chapter 19, and in particular verses 7 and 8, we find our clothing referred to as our works. Either, uh, uh, when I say as works, when you go through the Bible, you either find it uh, representing uh, unrighteous works or righteous works. But here in, in Revelation chapter 19, in verse 7, Notice what it says here in verses 7 and 8. It says, Let us be glad and, and rejoice and give honor to Him, for the marriage of the, of the Lamb is come, and His wife hath made herself ready. Now who is His wife? What is that referring to? The church, right? God's people, right? 
And look at verse 8. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in what? Fine linen and clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. Now I want to tell you, friends, behavior repeated becomes what? Becomes habit, doesn't it? Behavior repeated becomes habit, and habit becomes character. I want you to put that in the back of your mind and remember that. Behavior repeated becomes habit, and habit becomes character. From the book Child Guidance, page 199, notice this. Basically says this. says, It is by a repetition of acts that habits are established and character confirmed. A repetition of acts. Have you ever done anything, Alex, without thinking about it? You just, you just do it? It's, it's become a habit. Habits are a lot, oftentimes are things you don't even think about because they're a habit. It's just something that you do. <laughs> you know, it's amazing. I was thinking this very same thing when you said that. When I put my shoes on, I put my right shoe on first, then my left shoe. Now, every time. I can't think of a time where I've ever put my left shoe on first. <laughs> That's just a habit. It's something I don't even think about. See? We won't go there. Now, you can read in Ephesians 5 concerning the church that the church is arrayed in linen, a garment of character that is without spot, uh, it's without wrinkle, uh, it's without blemish, the robe of Christ's righteousness, right? Now, I'm not talking about, and I'll get into this in a moment, of profession and actual. They can be two different things, can't they? But what you read in, in uh, Ephesians 5 is talking about God's church, His true people. And speaking of this principle... If you go to Revelation chapter 16, it's a very important point. Take your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 16, and in particular, verse 15. There are statements that Jesus has made. Jesus said, uh, gave a warning about wolves in what? Clothing. He was talking about clothing, wasn't he? Beware of wolves in sheep's clothing. So they profess to be sheep, right? But they're not really sheep, they're wolves. And they've come in to destroy the flock. But notice here, this is a principle. You think about that principle. Revelation 16, verse 15 says, Behold, I come as a thief. This is Jesus speaking. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? If your garment, your clothing is torn or becomes spotted or wrinkled, you'll not be ready uh, for Armageddon. You'll not be ready for the last battle between the beast and the remnant of God. You know what will happen? You know, you may profess to be a child of God, but at the time, at that time, you'll walk naked and everyone will see your shame. Because the truth will be revealed. You know, there are principles in the Bible. You may think that you can hide your sins forever, but somebody knows. Somebody knows. And it may be somebody here on earth, but God knows. The Bible says your sin will find you out. It will be exposed. And as is spoken of here in Revelation 16, you will walk naked, though you may profess to be wearing a robe of Christ's righteousness. something we need to contemplate. Now the Old Testament speaks of one particular robe, one particular garment. It was a robe. It was a special symbol. And that was the robe worn by the high priest in the sanctuary, the earthly sanctuary. It was a special symbol from the youth's instructor, June 7th, 1900, she speaks about this. says, Everything worn by the high priest was to be whole and without blemish. The pattern of the priestly robes was made known to Moses in the mount. Every article the high priest was to wear. And the way it should be made 
were specified. God was very specific about it because it symbolized something incredible. Okay, something about God and God's character. Whenever you, something symbolizes God, it's incredibly particular, isn't it? Because you're dealing with God, right? These garments were consecrated to a most solemn purpose. By them was represented the character of the great antitype, Jesus Christ. Did you catch that? By this robe, these garments that the high priest wore, she says, was represented the character of the great antitype of that high priestly earthly ministry, Jesus Christ. Now, some people get mixed up on Melchizedek and who that really is, and they better take note of this reference. Going on, she says, they covered the priest with glory and beauty and made the dignity of his office to appear. When clothed with them, the priest presented himself as a representative of Israel, showing by his garments the glory that Israel should reveal to the world as the chosen people of God. Nothing but perfection in dress and attitude, in spirit and word, would be acceptable to God. Did you guys hear that? Nothing but perfection. There's that P word. In dress and attitude. In spirit. Can you have the right dress but the wrong attitude? Yeah. Absolutely. You can also have the wrong dress but the right attitude and that will soon be corrected if you have the right attitude. Amen? In spirit and word. Not just in knowledge but conversion. She says, would be acceptable to God. He is holy, and His glory and perfection must be represented in the earthly service. Nothing but perfection could properly represent the sacredness of the heavenly service. Finite man might rend his own heart by showing a contrite and humble spirit, but no rent must be made in the priestly robes. You catch that? That's important to understand. What did these robes represent? What were they symbolic of? Jesus Christ, our Savior. And so she says, we might rend our own heart, tear our own heart by showing a contrite and humble spirit, but never tear apart those priestly robes. You understand that? Because they're a symbol of Jesus Christ. And because it represented Christ, again, under no condition was this robe to be torn or ripped. And the penalty, do you know there was a penalty involved in this? The penalty for failing to comply with this requirement was, what do you think? What do you think it was, Alex? Time out for 15 minutes? Pick up sticks? It was death. It was death. The Jews, however, as they too often did, had gotten together and they'd written a church manual. <laughs> and that contained rules differing from those that you find in the Scriptures. They wrote a manual. Gee, that sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? In particular, it's not wrong to have a church manual, but if it's contrary to the Word of God, amen? Now, according to their church manual, there was one exception to God's rule concerning this. This ripping of the robe. In the case of blasphemy, in order to show his horror and his shock, the high priest was allowed to tear his robe for blasphemy. Now, friends, it's quite obvious that Caiaphas placed a higher value on the church manual than on the Scriptures. If you look at Matthew chapter 26, in this chapter, Jesus is before the Sanhedrin, before Caiaphas, Caiaphas challenges Christ. Are you in the name of God? Are you the Son of God? Well, Jesus has to answer, doesn't He? Because Jesus spoke the truth, didn't He? Jesus says yes. And you're going to see Me come in power and glory. And look at verse 65. 
Matthew 26.65 Then the high priest rent his clothes. He ripped them. Saying, He hath spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold, now ye have heard his blasphemy. So when Caiaphas tore his robe, though, at this point, though the church manual approved of this action, according to God's word, he was deserving of death. Of course, nothing like this could ever happen again, could it? I mean, that's old testament. That never happened again. History repeats itself a lot. Hmm. Exactly. I'll share this with you. It's from Selected Messages, Volume 1, page 406. She says, We want to understand the time in which we live. We do not half understand it. That's an incredible statement right there. We don't half understand the time we're living in. I don't know. I, I read prophecy. I've studied prophecy. I've read the Bible. I think I kind of got a pretty good grasp on the time we're living in. But then I read the, the prophets say, we don't half understand it. And I have to scratch my head and go, wow, I need to get into God's Word a little bit deeper. We do not half take it in, she says. My heart trembles in me when I think of what a foe we have to meet and how poorly we are prepared to meet him. The trials of the children of Israel and their attitude just before the first coming of Christ have been presented before me again and again to illustrate the position of the people of God in their experience before the second coming of Christ. How the enemy sought every occasion to take control of the minds of the Jews and today he is seeking to blind the minds of God's servants that they may not be able to discern the precious truth. This is something that we we need to take note of, friends. The condition of Israel then, according to inspiration, was representative of our experience just before the second coming of Jesus. And what was it that Jesus said to the people of His day? And He said, You made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition? Wow. Have you ever heard, and this is probably aimed more at Adventists than anyone, but have you ever heard of a duly appointed leader? Duly appointed. Or have you heard of the phrase... Maybe some of you have heard of this. Uh, uh, properly constituted church authority. Have you ever heard that expression? A duly appointed leader. Properly constituted church authority. Was Caiaphas a duly appointed leader? Well, who is a duly appointed leader? This is something we need to consider. You know, this is something that really... As the people of God, we need to understand. Because tradition has clouded the minds of many of God's people. Was Caiaphas a duly appointed leader? From the SDA Bible Commentary of Ellen Wright's Writings, Volume 5, page 1105, and I'm going to be referring back to this as we go through our study, uh, this reference again and again. But uh, she speaks to this. She says, For thus rending his garment in pretended zeal, the high priest might have been arraigned before the Sanhedrin. He might have been arraigned and put to death. He had done the very thing that the Lord had commanded should not be done. Standing under the condemnation of God, put yourself there, friends. Here you are. You're a fly in the wall. You're watching it all here unfold Caiaphas standing under the condemnation of God he pronounced sentence on Christ as a blasphemer he performed all his action toward actions toward Christ as a priestly judge as an officiating high priest but 
He was not this by the appointment of God. You catch that? The priestly robe he rent in order to impress the people with his horror of the sin of blasphemy covered a heart full of wickedness. Notice this. She says, He was acting under the inspiration of Satan. I have to ask, nothing like this could ever happen again, could it? Wow. She says, Under a gorgeous priestly dress, he was fulfilling the work of the enemy of God. And then she says, This has been done again and again by priests and rulers. Religious leaders, friends. Legislators, kings, presidents. So I'll ask you, did God duly appoint Caiaphas as high priest? No, God did not appoint him. Who was direction who was directing his actions? Satan was. Let me ask you this. Do God and the devil ever work in partnership? I mean, that sounds like a totally obvious you know, question. And most people would say no, but by their actions and the things that they do, you, they profess <laughs> just the opposite. But they never. They never work in partnership. Paul says you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. Paul doesn't say you should not. He says you cannot. It's one way or the other. You can't have both. It's just as Jesus said. You're either with me or against me. You can't be straddling the fence, friends. Now, is it properly constituted church authority to do the work of the devil? Again, might sound like a rather ignorant question. But we see so many times God's professed church doing the exact work of the devil. Let me ask you this question. How much heavenly authority did Caiaphas have? If he wasn't a duly appointed leader, how much authority did he have? Notice this from uh, Manuscript Releases, Volume 12, page 387. With Caiaphas, the Jewish high priesthood ended. Did you guys realize that? I hope you did. If you're a believer that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, didn't He die at Calvary for our sins? Didn't all the feasts and the, the ordinances end? She says, with Caiaphas, the Jewish high priesthood ended. This proud, overbearing, wicked man proved his unworthiness ever to have worn the garments of the high priest. He had neither capacity nor authority from heaven. Now, there's a reason I'm emphasizing this, friends. Because it doesn't matter what the profession is. Do you understand? To most all of Israel, they saw Caiaphas as their high priest and we have from inspiration that he was not put there by God. Nor authority from heaven. He didn't have it. He didn't have the capacity nor authority from heaven, she says. Though he had what they called properly constituted church authority, he had no authority from heaven. You understand what I'm saying? Continuing on there, Manuscript Releases, Volume 12, page 388, she says, He had not one ray of light from heaven to show him what the work of the priest was, or for what the office had been instituted. Such ministration could make nothing perfect, for in itself it was utterly corrupt. The priests were uh, tyrannous and deceptive and full of ambitious schemes, she says. The grace of God had not to do with this. 
They were tyrannical. You know, you read in the Gospels how they squabbled even amongst themselves is because they were jealous. And I'll tell you, most pastors today are jealous one of another, sad to say, in God's church. I've seen it. It's sickening. The grace of God had not to do with this, she says. Was Caiaphas the leader of God's people? The high priest of God's people? Now, think about the question for a moment before you answer. (laughs) In fact, let me read the next one before you answer. Was Caiaphas the leader of God's people? Was he the priest of God's people? Just put that in your mind. From the Review and Herald, article entitled Caiaphas, June 12th, 1900. Virtually, Caiaphas was no high priest. He wore the priestly robes, but he had no vital connection with God. He was uncircumcised in heart. Proud and overbearing, he proved his unworthiness ever to have worn the garments of the high priest. He had no authority from heaven from heaven for occupying the position. He had not one ray of light from God to show him what the work of the priest was or for what the office was instituted. So, was Caiaphas the high priest or was he not the high priest? Kind of a trick question. He was not the high priest, though he may have been so by profession, by outward appearances. People thought he was was because they didn't understand the Scriptures themselves. And there's one of the dangers, isn't it? Beloved, there's a difference between the professed church and the true church. Would you agree with that? There is a difference. And in a time of apostasy, there's a a great difference. The misunderstanding of who the church is today is so ingrained in the Adventist psyche, just as it was the Jewish, that at times it seems impossible to get through. Profession and reality is not necessarily the same thing, is it? And how is it with you? Is your character in harmony with your profession? If it's not, your profession is telling a lie. Do you know that? I'm pretty sure we've all been there, haven't we? You know that the Bible says that liars will not be in the kingdom of God. And I want to say thank God for that. (laughs) If the things you profess to believe are not a reality in your life, you're living a lie. Now is the time to correct that. Now is the time to cultivate right habits to form a right character. And now is the time to bring your character into harmony with your profession. We're very close to when that will come to an end, friends. Caiaphas professed to be the high priest and religious leader of the people of God. And here's what he did. It's from Manuscript Releases, Volume 12, page 388 again. She says, With the other priests, he instructed the people to choose Barabbas instead of Christ. That's (laughs) remarkable. And the people did choose Barabbas, though they outwardly professed to be God's chosen people. When Caiaphas asked Jesus if he was really the Christ and Jesus replied that he was, Caiaphas tore his robe. Why did Caiaphas do this? He did it deliberately and he did it for a reason. It was a custom among the Jews that whenever one of their relatives had died that they would tear their clothes as a way of expressing extreme sorrow and grief. Those who have lost loved ones here, if it was still a custom today in in our country, uh, we would be doing the same thing. When my brother was killed in in 2006, I would have ripped my, my shirt in grief 
and when my dad passed away a few months ago, the same thing. This was a, a custom among them that they would do this. But the thing is, the Lord had prohibited the priests from doing this. Like we said before, they found a way around God's clear, uh, very clear command by including an exemption in you know, what you could refer to as the church manual. And friends, let me tell you, the experience Christ was subjected to has been repeated many times to His followers throughout history. During the Protestant Reformation, for example, the Reformers were first excommunicated or disfellowshipped. That's what that means. Uh, they were kicked out of their churches. And when that didn't stop the Reformation, they were placed in prison. And finally, when all these measures had failed... To suppress their activities, it was determined what? We need to kill them. They need to die. And the men who were responsible for their deaths would maintain that they they really hated to treat them that way. But they were left with no choice. I was just following orders. Haven't you ever heard that before? This is what Caiaphas was telling Jesus. In essence, he was saying, you know, I'm going to have to kill you because of your uh, theological errors. And I'm really very sorry about that. Well, really, Caiaphas wasn't sorry at all. I think he was overjoyed. From the SDA Bible Commentary, Volume 5 again, page 1104, it says, So perverted had the priesthood become that when Christ declared Himself the Son of God, Caiaphas in pretended horror rent his robe and accused the Holy One of Israel of blasphemy. It's wrong to pretend, isn't it? Isn't it wrong to pretend? Let me put it this way. Probably the the worst kind of, of pretense is when you pretend to be pious. You pretend to be holy and you're not. That's the kind of pretension this was. He was pretending to be in terrible shock, terrible uh, uh, sorrow, but secretly in his heart, he was overjoyed. And this made the act even more wicked than it would have been otherwise. And Caiaphas also showed that he did not realize, and maybe if he ever knew, what his robe represented. It represented the character of the one standing before him. It was terrible blasphemy for him to tear that robe because Christ's character was perfect. It's not torn. It never been defiled. And when he tore his robe, in effect, what had he done? You know what he did? He separated himself from God. That's what sin does, isn't it? Doesn't sin do that? Doesn't it separate us from God? Remember now, he was a representative of the whole Jewish nation. But he separated himself from God. Now let me tell you this. God has given to you and me the power of choice. And I want to tell you, he honors our power of choice. He always does, Alex. He lets you choose. Sis, God does. Do you believe that we have the power of choice? Did Caiaphas have the power of choice? No. Well, yeah, certainly. And Caiaphas made a choice and God honored his choice. And I want to tell you, beloved, God honors people's choices. He won't step in. He'll honor your choice. Now I want you to listen to this statement. Going back to Volume 5 of the SDA Bible Commentary on Ellen White's Writings. It says, In Christ the shadow reached its substance, the type its antitype. Well might Caiaphas rend his clothes in horror for himself and for the nation, for they were separating themselves from God and were fast becoming a people unchurched by Jehovah. Surely the candlestick was being removed out of its place. What does she say that they were doing? 
What did she say? They were becoming an unchurched people. Is that an interesting word? Unchurched? Do you know what that means? Unchurched? What do you think that means? Huh? Unprotected? Tyler, what do you think unchurched means? People who have not been to church, they don't have that upbringing. But the Jews did. They had all all that upbringing. They went to the synagogues. It means literally that they were disfellowshipping themselves. That's what that means. And by this act, Caiaphas was separating. He was divorcing himself from God. And everyone who followed his example, yielding to his influence, was doing the same thing. And I wanted to ask you, do you get the significance of that? Does history repeat itself? It was mentioned here earlier that it does. By the way, they still went to church. They went to the building. They said the same prayers. They went through the same service. They still had the same organization. They still had the same bank account. They still had the same name. But they were disfellowshipped and they didn't even know it. They reviled. Let me put it this way. They loved the thought with their entire being that they were God's chosen people. And nothing could change that. I used to have a pastor who was so proud that he he was a fifth generation Adventist. He used to brag about that. I'm a fifth generation Adventist. And I said to him, that's something I wouldn't be very proud about. We're still here. Beloved, if they had been striving to be in harmony with God's will and to obey Him, Caiaphas would have been killed for the crime that he had committed by tearing his robe. But they decided instead to do what? Follow Him. Follow Him in His sin. Notice this from the Desire of Ages, page 709. When Caiaphas rent his garment, his act was significant of the place that the Jewish nation as a nation would thereafter occupy toward God. The once favored people of God were separating themselves from Him and were fast becoming a people disowned by Jehovah. Now God God accepted the choice that Caiaphas made. And God is watching the choices that you and I are making, beloved. The choices that every minister is making and the choices that every church is making. God is going to respond in keeping with the decision of each. Now notice what happened when Jesus died on the cross. Going back to Volume 5 of the SDA Bible Commentary, page 1109. She says, It was not the hand of the priest that rent from top to bottom the gorgeous veil that divided the holy from the most holy place. It was the hand of God. When Christ cried out, It is finished! Notice this. She says, The holy watcher that was an unseen guest at Belshazzar's feast. You guys know who Belshazzar's feast was? Remember in Daniel? They had the feast and brought in all the vessels from God's temple. They had a big party going on, though they were surrounded by the Medes and the Persians. Do you remember that story? Remember they saw the hand come out of nowhere and write on the wall? Who was writing that on the wall? This holy watcher, this unseen guest, she says at Belshazzar's feast, pronounced the Jewish nation to be a nation, there's that word again, unchurched. Now, beloved, you have to realize something here. This was before 34 A.D. when Stephen was stoned. That's significant. 
They were separated from God, yet He extended their probation for another three and a half years through the ministry of the apostles. Was God using that church, the Jews, anymore? No, He was using the apostles. And just as we studied this morning, Paul got to a point where he took all the Christians, converts and those interested out of the synagogues and organized them as their own body of believers there in Ephesus. Friends, God's principles do not change. There is no grand exception. I'll tell you this, if there is a grand exception, God's a liar. And we know through Scripture that God is not a liar. When Caiaphas rent his garment, there was more than one rending that took place. And we've been looking at the outward rending of the garment of the high priest and its spiritual significance. It was a symbolic act of the separation, the divorcing of God's people from Himself. When was this act completed? Well, it was our Scripture reading for today. It's recorded in John 19, verse 15. They cried out, Away with Him! Speaking about Jesus. Away with Him! Crucify Him! Pilate said unto them, Shall I crucify your King? He didn't know what he was saying there, did he? And the chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. They made their choice. The church is to be the bride, the wife of Christ, but if that church chooses to depart from the Lord and to form an allegiance, an alliance with the state, it has said, in effect, we will no longer have the Lord to be our ruler. You cannot have two masters, friends. It's impossible. No church or religious group can go to the state for the enforcement of their religious teachings without having left the Lord. And God will recognize that choice. Just last week, friends, our church in Battle Creek and the one here in Lafayette received certified letters from the Office of General Counsel of the General Conference of Seventh-day Adventists threatening legal action if we continue to use the terms Adventist, Seventh-day Adventist, and SDA to identify our website and our church. Now, take a hard look at that for a moment. And consider if there is a difference between who the Jews chose then and the GCSDA chooses now as their king. Who did the Jewish leaders choose as their king? Caesar. Who is the GCSDA choosing as their king? Think about it. Are you aware that the Spirit of Prophecy says that there are three things the Lord will do when the church goes to the state for assistance in enforcing her decrees? You can read about it in a number of places. You read about it in in Selected Messages, in particular, Volume 3, pages 299 to 303, somewhere in there. Three things. She says, first, He will not hear their prayers. I want you to consider how incredibly serious that is. Professed Church of God aligning themselves with the state to enforce their beliefs, their decrees, God will not hear their prayers. Serious stuff. It's another thing. He will take the Holy Spirit away from them. Do you know without the Holy Spirit you're lost? Pretty serious, don't you think? just as serious as Caiaphas rending his robes. The third thing she says, 
they will be they will be written in the book of heaven as unbelievers if you are written in heaven as unbelievers you're not part of the church are you you've torn the garment you have separated yourself from the lord you have chosen Caesar to be your king. So what happens? When the church goes to the state for assistance in enforcing her decrees, you have become Rome. Would you say that this is a very serious matter to understand? Now, We haven't decided how we're going to react to to that. But my belief is that we're we're not going to be dragged down to their level. (laughs) We're going to continue to do the work the Lord's called us all to do. Whatever they decide to do, that's on them. We're not going to quibble with Caiaphas about rending his robe. Now we saw that Caiaphas tore his garment in pretended shock and horror, but there is a true rending of the garment. Volume 5 again of the SDA Bible Commentary, page 1105. Christ mourned for the transgression of every human being. He bore even the guiltiness of Caiaphas, knowing the hypocrisy that dwelt in his soul, while for pretense he rent his robe. Christ did not rend His robe, but His soul was rent. His garment of human flesh was rent as He hung on the cross, the sin-bearer of the race. By His suffering and death, a new and living way was opened. Praise God. You see what happened? Jesus had an inner rending of His soul. And friends, you and I must enter into that experience if we're going to be saved. We must be broken. We must be tore asunder. Notice what the Lord says in Joel chapter 2. Begins in verse 1, he says, Blow ye the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand. In verse 12, he says, Therefore also now, saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart, and with fasting, and with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your heart, and not your garments. And turn unto the Lord your God, for He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repenteth Him of the evil. Even to the end, God is drawing us. In Zechariah 12 and verse 10, we read, And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. What are these verses talking about? Beloved, when Jesus hung on the cross, it was your sin that pierced Him. It was my sin that pierced Him. The past, the present, and the future, they're all alike to God. And God is a being without time. (laughs) He's not restrained by anything. God saw you. And that's why Jesus came and died on the cross. Do you know that? When he hung on that cross, his heart that cross his heart was pierced. It was torn for you. The tearing of his flesh, his hands and his feet is just a symbol or a type of the real pain that was in his heart. 
The pain in his heart was so great that the physical pain was hardly felt. Did you know that? We see examples you know, of a crucifixion. We see and read these things and we go, oh, the incredible pain. But that physical pain was hardly felt by Jesus. From the Desire of Ages, page 753. The withdrawal of the divine countenance from the Savior in this hour of supreme anguish pierced His heart with a sorrow that can never be fully understood by man. So great was this agony that His physical pain was hardly felt. I'm convinced that we do not realize how bad sin is until we come to Calvary. And even then, I don't think we can fully comprehend it. Have you ever met parents who had only one child and that child died? The Lord says that's the way His people are going to mourn in the last days. They're going to mourn as parents mourn who have lost their only child and grieve for Him as one grieves for a firstborn. That's what we read there in Zechariah. From the Review and Herald, June 12, 1900. There's a couple more things to share with you this morning. Many today who claim to be Christians are in danger of rending their garments, making, making an outward show of repentance when their hearts are not softened nor subdued. This is why so many continue to make failures in the Christian life. An outward appearance of sorrow is shown for wrong, but the repentance is not that which needs not to be repented of. May God grant to His church true contrition for sin. Oh, that we might feel the necessity of revealing true sorrow for wrongdoing. That's one thing that I pray. I pray that not only for myself, but for all that I know that profess the name of God, that their heart will be softened and subdued by Jesus and not hardened. That we will come to know and have a true sorrow for our wrongdoing. And as I close up, did you know that there was one garment that was not torn that day? Jesus had an outer garment that the Bible says was without seam. As it had no seam, the soldiers decided not to tear it. Prophecy said that it would not be torn. In fact, prophecy said that they would cast lots for it because it was so rare. Do you realize the significance of this? This particular robe without seam? Listen to this. Short sentence. From Manuscript Releases, Volume 5, page 371. Christ's seamless garment is a representation of the unity that should exist in the church. Wow. And let me tell you, beloved, you're never going to have unity with just profession. For those who only profess, they choose no king but Caesar. <laughs> A group of people who have had the true rending of the heart and not the garment will have true unity as they have chosen Christ as their king. And let me tell you, friends, Satan is determined that this unity will never happen. But it's going to happen anyway. And I would consider it probably the greatest privilege of my life if I could just have a little part in it. <laughs> How about you? That seamless robe represents the unity that is to exist among Christ's true believers and it must never be torn. And we must always think of that seamless robe in all of our dealings with each other, beloved. We're not to tear it. The body of Christ is one body and when one part suffers, all the body suffers. Christ's seamless robe represents the unity that is to exist 
among his true followers until the end of time. Do you want to be a part of it? Do you choose Jesus as your king? Or do you only profess to? In your heart, does Caesar rule? I hope it doesn't. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do again thank you so very, very much for this holy Sabbath day that we can come together and worship you and sing praises to you and learn at your feet. Father, we humbly thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for his love and his decision to take our place. Father, we pray as our heart mourns for putting Christ on that cross, that you will forgive us. And that we will seek each other out in the body of Christ and we will make things right. We will have that unity that Jesus prayed for, that His robe represents. Lord, may we come to know who we truly are, repent of our ways, and have Jesus sitting as King on our heart and not Caesar. And Lord, forgive our enemies. Forgive those who war against God's true people. May they come to know what they're doing and repent and be saved. Again, Lord, we thank You for this Sabbath day. We pray that You continue to bless us as You've promised. And we thank You so much for hearing our prayer as it is Asked in the name of Jesus. Amen.